Welcome to Light Church. We're so glad you could join us for this weekly message. We hope this message leaves you feeling inspired and equipped to be all that you were made to be. Today is your very first time. I hope you feel at home. I hope you feel welcome. If you're just visiting, I hope today can be of some value in your walk, not just a visit or a drop-in or an entertaining morning, uh, but it can be of value in your life. And for those who are joining us and who've been on this journey, Foundations, it is the final week. The final week. We have done nine weeks in the book of Acts, which I don't know about you, I have loved every second of it. Hearing a couple of different speakers going through every single um, bit of the first nine chapters. And again, I don't know about you, but it's been one of those things where I've read Acts a ton of times before. But this time, I've just seen it in a completely different way. God has shown me things I've never seen before in different ways. And it's just been such an encouragement looking at this idea of the foundations of our faith, the foundations of the early church, the church that we are part of today has its roots in the early church. 2,000 years ago. And I was like, let's understand where we came from so we can understand how we look at ourselves as a church today. And I don't know, but it's been incredible. And we are in the final, final week. Nine weeks, it's been good. Um, And today we are going to look at Acts chapter nine. So we're going to jump in. And I want to encourage you as well, if you've never really read through the first part of Acts, and the reason we're stopping Acts chapter 9, it's like the first nine chapters are like the establishing or the, the, the formations of the early church. And then when it hits Acts chapter 9, we see this guy, Saul, who we'll look at today. From here, this is kind of like the expansion Or this is kind of like the explosive growth and how it formalizes and moves and spreads. And and, but like the first nine chapters are kind of considered like the early beginnings, like the the formational period of the local church. So that's why we are stopping at week nine. But if you've not read through the book of Acts, I encourage you go back and read through it. All these messages are available on our podcast. So if you need to listen back to some, those are there for you as well. But Acts chapter nine today, I'm excited. As I was reading this, I was thinking, have you ever had those um, moments in life or you look back across your life and you can pinpoint experiences that are things that have happened in your life that have shaped the way that you live? Now, these could be like really significant things. They could be negative things, negative experiences that completely shifted the way that you live your life. They could be amazingly positive things that have completely changed everything. You could look across your life and go, yeah, I can pinpoint these moments, these experiences of things that I went through or moments I was in that have completely shaped my life. Again, they could be completely insignificant. They could be nothing. It could just be like an embarrassing moment that helped you see something about yourself. Well, as I was looking at this, a story popped into mind. And before I tell you the story, I want to preface it with two things. Firstly, this, this happened. This actually happened. And secondly, it's taken me a long time to tell this story because it still cringes me out to this, this very day. I remember an experience I had a couple of years ago. And um, I'll give you a little bit of background to it. And uh, this experience shaped me in a very interesting way. I went to uni. Uh, I worked for a couple of years and then I went to uni to study theology. Studied theology over in Manchester. And 
it was one of those things, the uni I was at, they took their student council very, very seriously. It was kind of like a, a really big deal to be on the student council. And it wasn't a massive uni at all. The way that you got elected onto the, the, the student council was people had to essentially like put you forward. They had to say like, ah, we, you know, we want to put this person forward for nominations or whatever. So um, your man got nominated for academic representative. I don't know why that's funny because I was bossing it. Oh, well, no, okay. And I got, I got nominated for, for this academic representative and they took it very seriously. People congratulated me. It was like me and three other people that were in the running for it. And uh, if you know me, I, I'm not like mad keen on these like dead formal, like everyone's buzzing about it. It's this crazy thing. There's like, they do the, they take it so seriously. They had this massive room. Every single person connected with the unions in this room, the, the faculty, like the, the, the principal, the dean, just everyone was in this room. And uh, basically you had to go in and it was this, this real big ceremonial moment. And basically you had to go and give a speech as to why you should be nominated. Now, I won't lie to you. I wasn't stoked to be nominated. I'd been there like three months or something. And I was like, academic representative. I had no idea what it meant. No one asked me if they could nominate me. I got nominated. I got told you're running for this. And I had to stand up and give a speech. And again, this was a couple of years ago. So don't be judging me right now. So, so I was in this group of friends at, at the time. One of them is a pastor of another church. who was spoken here not so long ago. And uh, I won't say who, but you could probably guess. And, uh, and we used to kind of like, you know, push each other to do things and and a couple of my friends got nominated as well for some other things. And we were pushing them like, in your speech, only talk about your mom's cooking. And like, that's why you should get nominated and stuff. So we were just like joking around. And like, it was, it was very immature. I won't lie to you. And people were thinking like, oh, these, these, these kids, whatever, you know, this big ceremonial moment. And uh, I can't even believe I'm about to tell you this is really funny and horrible at the same time. So we were like, it, this was around the time when like the whole like Donald Trump thing was very controversial. And it was anyone who would mention things, especially in the uni I was in, it was, it was just one of those moments where it just probably wasn't the wisest thing to do I did. So, so basically, we were all geeing each other up. My speech was last out of all of them because it was this you know, academic rep. And they were all like, you know what you should do? You should go up and do nothing but just give a Donald Trump speech in his voice and everything. I was, That's the sickest idea. Yeah, come on. So I'm talking like room of 150 people. Everyone in the uni was present in this moment. It was like a big honor to be asked. And I was like, this is the funniest thing ever. We were all like geeing each other up. There's people cheering. Well. So I went up. My name got called. Everyone was like, you know, please tell us why we think you should be the academic representative. And I kid you not in the best Donald Trump impression you've ever heard in your entire life. I even squinted my eyes and did the hand thing. I gave one, I just gave like a couple lines of a speech that he did purely as a joke. And then pulled the mic close and started chanting the name of the uni down the mic. I'm not joking. This actually happened. Then walked down the middle of the room and sat back down and everyone was laughing from my friendship group. And everyone else in the room was dead silent, 100% silent. The couple days that followed this happening, I, the principal came and spoke to me. People were like accusing me of all sorts of crazy things. Like, what you really meant by that was this. I was like, I did not. It was a joke. People put complaints in about me. I definitely didn't, I definitely did not make any friends that day. To make it worse, I actually got accepted into the role. 
I, the worst thing is I had to step down from the role because I got accepted and that many people were unhappy with me. To the point is I would walk into the library and people as a joke would do the chant that I did and I couldn't live it down. It took me so long to live down this stupid moment. Honestly, it was a horrible experience. I, I phoned Holly after like, I don't know what I just did, but I did the worst thing I've ever done in my life. Honestly, and everyone... Everyone of my friendship group was so funny, whatever. And it, was, it sounds really stupid and it sounds really embarrassing. Maybe to you. In fact, if you knew the uni I went to, you'd understand just how funny and ridiculous that was. And I should not have done that. But it, it, for me, and as silly as it sounds, it was actually a big defining moment for me. Because after this, I remember thinking to myself, see, this experience has shown me an immaturity in me that I have a propensity to push things far too far. I get caught up in the moment and I push things too far. And I remember coming away from that being like, how did this happen? How did I get into this place? And you might be like, what's the big deal? Like it was a really big deal at the time. Now I can laugh about it, but it wasn't funny at the time. It was just one of those moments where I just got so caught up in stuff, listened to the wrong people. And I made this decision to myself. Like, I'm not going to get caught up like that. I recognize this immaturity in myself. And it was this big shaping moment for me. And it was one of those things where even to this day, when I think about the idea of having like a filter system, I often think back to that moment. I think if I'd have actually just asked myself what I was doing in that moment, I probably wouldn't have been caught up in the moment that I got caught up in. Now, I'm glad that it wasn't anything real sinister or weird or whatever. It just was what it was. And it's funny now. But it, it, this experience I went through shaped something about myself. It showed me something about myself. I was like confronted with my own insecurities, my own weaknesses, the, the areas that I fall short in. And I guess if you were to look across your life, if you were to look back at experiences, things you've done, things that you've under, like undergone, like uh, different people that you've known or, or been in relationships with or whatever it might be, you could look back at your life and be like, that moment shaped me. And that moment shaped me. And as we've been journeying through the book of Acts, there's all of these things, these huge like seismic shifts in the, in the people in the book of Acts and in the early church, these massive movements of change. And actually, if you were to look at the, 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 like, the core of the, the book of Acts in these first nine chapters, the kind of, there's this like epicentral moment that happens in every single person's story in the beginning and the formations of the church. There's this like, core experience that people had that completely changed them, that completely transformed, that shaped the way forward. And that experience was this, is that they experienced the transformational work of Jesus and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You go back, look at all the people that did stuff in the book of Acts. It started with a transformational encounter with Jesus and an empowerment by the Holy Spirit. And it was like, as soon as they had that experience, nothing could stay the same. It was the second that they experienced Jesus in all that he did, his resurrection power. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. It was like everything changed and nothing could remain the same. You go back and look at it. And it's the same in our lives. These experiences that we have can shape us. Maybe for you, there was a moment in your life when you experienced the love of God, and you stepped into a relationship with Jesus, and it was like nothing could stay the same. Or maybe in your life it was a loss, or maybe 
it was a sickness or something that happened in your life that made you turn your back on God. I don't know if I want that anymore because of what I've experienced. I don't know your journey at all. But let's look at this. This is why the early church grew so quickly. See, this wasn't just an ideology. It wasn't just like, okay, let's all get together. Let's talk about what's a good idea to spread with one another. What's this message we should get around? Again, one of the biggest evidences of the resurrection of Jesus is what followed the resurrection of Jesus. Because these guys gave their lives. They were tortured. The disciples were literally tortured and murdered for what they believed in. But it wasn't even just belief. It was they saw the resurrected Jesus and everything changed. The church grew so quickly because it was more than an ideology. It was more than a religious system. It was more than just good social teaching or a social club for people to be part of. It was an experience that they had that meant nothing could stay the same. The early church spread like wildfire throughout the first couple centuries because they carried with them an encounter with God and an empowerment from the Holy Spirit. So maybe... This morning, you might be like, I've never said yes to Jesus, or I have said yes to Jesus, and I'm interested to know what you're saying this morning, because I don't know if I could say I've had that big stopped encounter. Well, my prayer for you today is that you will have an encounter with God for yourself. That this morning is more than just historical context, it's more than just entertainment, it's more than just good teaching, more than just Bible knowledge, but it is an encounter with God and an empowerment from the Holy Spirit that means nothing can stay the same. That's my prayer for you today, whoever you are. So we're going to read Acts chapter 9. We're going to read from chapter from verse 1 through till verse 9. And this is a really significant experience that someone had that changed everything. So it's called Saul's conversion. So it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Verse 5 says, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and he did not eat or drink anything. So a little bit of context to this passage that will help us frame this a little bit. So Acts chapter 8, that Hull spoke into last week, it says that the church was scattered. And Holly said that it wasn't just like they decided to leave. It was like they were getting hunted. This was like people going door to door, not just knocking and saying, hey, are you guys Christians? It was like doors being kicked down, people being dragged out of homes, people being hunted for their faith. There are some countries in the world where this is still the case. We have it very, very good in this country. So people are being hunted. Christians are being hunted. And one of the guys who's, who's like the hunters, the sort of like chief Christian hunters, is this guy Saul, who we're introduced to. 
So in this moment, the church is scattering, the gospel's being spread to loads of different places. And Saul, this guy who was present in the Sanhedrin, that religious court that we've already looked at over the past couple of weeks, big, big, intimidating group of people. And Saul would have been there when Jesus was placed in front of those, when he was being crucified. So Saul has literally heard Jesus's voice before. Saul has listened to Jesus speak to the Sanhedrin. And then he was there also when Stephen was put in front of the Sanhedrin. He'd been there the whole time, stood there. And it said that he'd actually outgrown his contemporaries, that he was so passionate to keep the, the religious rule. He was so passionate to keep the traditions of his fathers in the Jewish faith that he had become so like overzealous that it said. So imagine this guy, he is like, looking at everyone around him thinking these guys just don't care about this faith, about this religious system. And then he is out hunting anyone that would seek to try and tear it down. So Saul is going door to door. It is not a nice scene. It says women and children, men, women and children being pulled out of the house. And it says belonging to the way. That, this is like the first mention of like a formal name for Christianity in this moment. So Saul he goes to the, the high priest at the time and he basically says, look, give me letters so that I can go and do the same thing over in Damascus. I'm going to go hunt more Christians. He's kind of like chasing them down. And then it picks up with the story that we just read. So this is a huge transformation that Saul goes through. This is one of those experiences that meant for Saul, nothing could really stay the same. That no matter what he could do, nothing could really go back to the way it was because he had such a profound experience of God. So I have three observations about this passage. Three characteristics of an encounter with God or uh, three observations of like the characteristics of how God transforms us when we meet him. And this happens in Acts chapter 9, but I believe it can happen in your life too. Whoever you are, whatever your story is, I believe that this is the nature of our God. And this can happen in your life. So if you're taking notes this morning, the first thing, the first observation from Acts 9 is this. God will meet you where you are. God will meet you where you are. So let's look at this. Saul was on his way to do evil. He was on his way. He was still sinning. It literally opens the passage. It says, meanwhile, meanwhile, in other words, all that was happening in Acts 8. Meanwhile, the whole time, Saul is breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He's fuming. He's got this like deep hatred for Christians. A deep, deep desire to see the end of Christianity. He's breathing, breathing out murderous threats. And then it says this in verse 2, as he neared Damascus on his journey. This isn't like he thought about doing something. He is on his way. He is right in the middle of opposing God and hunting down God's people. And then what happens? God stopped him. God met him exactly where he was. So suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And what I love is Saul says this, who are you, Lord? Just a side note on this. If you are ever seeking God or you're here this morning, you just want to know God in a deeper way. I want to encourage you, yeah, ask the questions 
You know, why do bad things happen to good people? Ask the questions, you know, about creation and ask the questions, can we believe in aliens? And ask the questions, all of the, the questions that you have about God, I encourage you to ask them. But the most important question that you can ask God is simply this, God, who are you? Who are you? Because everything starts from who God is. Everything that we need to know, everything that we need to do has its origin in the person and the nature of God. So Saul is in this moment. His first question to God is, God, who are you? Like, identify yourself. Tell me who you are. So if you're seeking God this morning, I want to encourage you. Start there. God, who are you? Who, who are you really? I know what people say about you, but who are you? And this book is more than just religious rules. This is God's self-identification. This is God saying, this is who I am. This is my nature. This is how I work. This is how I speak. God, who are you? That is where Saul started. But you know what's interesting about this? It can be so easy for us as Christians to have a view that as we approach God, when it comes to our faith, our relationship in God, that we need to do a load of things first to make it to God. And did you know that Christianity is the only religion where God came to humanity? Where the divine stepped towards the mortals. All the other religions say, this is God, this is his holiness. You have to do this to approach God. Where in Christianity, God stepped into human history to come after his creation. I don't know about you, in my life, there's been moments where I felt like I've carried guilt and shame and I feel like I've got to be a certain something or look a certain way or have a certain posture and then God will accept me or use me. But the nature of our God, as we see in this passage, Saul is on his way to oppose God and God met him right where he was. God is not afraid of your circumstances in fact, you might be here this morning, you've tried for so long to run away. You've been like, I don't want to know this God anymore. I just, I'm tired of this relationship. I don't want this faith anymore. Well, I promise you, God is chasing after you and he will always be there. There is nothing you can do to outrun the love of God. And God met Saul on his way to doing evil. So I want to encourage you this morning, there is nothing that you need to, you don't need to clean yourself up. You don't need to change the way that you talk. You don't need to do any of this stuff to come to God. Now you might hear me and be like, oh, so I don't have to change. That's not what I said. I said that you don't have to change and mold yourself and twist yourself to be able to get into relationship with God. But once you are in relationship with God, he will begin to shape you and mold you into the person that he's designed you to be. You might be like, ah, oh, but this happened to Saul. This isn't really the norm. God doesn't really meet people like that. Well, I guess let's look at this. The cross is the ultimate demonstration of God's character and his love. And what did that do? What did it look like? God stepped into human history, broke the wall of time, lived a human life, died a human death, was resurrected from the dead and ascended back into heaven. This whole big journey to be in relationship with you and I. That is the nature of our God. So don't tell me that your life is too far gone. 
Don't tell me that what you've done discounts you from being in relationship with God. Don't tell me that your past is too heavy for God to hold because God meets you exactly where you are. No matter who you are, God will come chasing you down. Romans 5, 8 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't say that, that God demonstrated his love that, that when we put our act together, when we cleaned ourselves up, when we weren't sinning, when we looked good enough, then Christ died for us. It said, no, in the middle of your brokenness, in the middle of your dysfunction, in the middle of your mess, in the middle of your not good enough and your insecurities and your guilt and your shame, Christ died so that you could have freedom and be restored to him. So I want to encourage you today, your life is not too far gone. Because God is not finished with you. He will meet you where you are at. Maybe today is a moment for you. You need to realize where it is you are at. Saul had this moment when he was overwhelmed by the glory of God. And it was in that moment he became profoundly aware of who he was and who God was. Maybe today that's a moment for you. An experience that will change everything is for you to understand who God is and where you are at today. Because I promise you, God is present wherever you are. No matter what it is you're facing, He is present with you. God will meet you where you are at. The second thing is this. God will make you new. God will make you new. So Saul... He's in this moment. Think about this radical transformation for a second here. He goes from, in this story, he goes from being like Christian hunter and murderer to being humbled, blind, and weak. Just this crazy transformation in this passage. It's like he enters the passage, this towering figure, and then is a couple of verses later, it said he's being led by the hand into the local city. It's like he goes in as this big ego and he comes out humbled, and broken. So what do you mean God makes you new? Well, listen to this. God wants to make you new. Okay, that is a fact. That's what the Bible teaches us. When we step into a relationship with Jesus, we are given a new nature. But listen to this. To get the new, it costs us the old. So if we want to become new, we have to sacrifice the old. You cannot become new without sacrificing the old. So the thing is about Saul is Saul, it said, when he opened his eyes, he could not see anything. He was completely blind. He didn't eat and drink for three days. This is this symbolism of this period of death, essentially, for Saul. It was like God had to reduce Saul to nothing. It was like the old Saul had to die before there was a resurrection in him. You've heard that old famous covenant, you can't have resurrection without death. But it's the same in our life. If God is going to make us new, it's going to come at the cost of the old. When Saul was in this moment, I wonder what was going through his mind. You think about it for a second. Imagine this. God has met you. You you open your eyes. You can't see. You can't eat or drink. You're just feeling like you're at the end of yourself. But it's like God was doing something in him. And from that moment, nothing would be the same. Nothing could ever be the same after his encounter with Jesus. Maybe you in your life, 
have maybe been in this situation where you've encountered God, but you've been stood there like, I don't know if I fully want to let go of the old because I kind of like how that feels. I kind of like that relationship. I kind of like that whole setup of friends. I kind of like doing that stuff. And you're there kind of wondering like, God, I thought you were supposed to make me into the person I'm supposed to be. But if you want the new, if you want this new creation that God has for you, you're going to have to turn away and get rid of the old. See, this is the thing. This is what repentance is all about. It's not just like a good idea of repent because it sounds holy. Repentance literally means just, I'm going to turn away from what I was doing. I'm going to turn away from the way I was living and I'm going to move towards Jesus and the way he wants me to live. So to be made new, we need to sacrifice and kill off the old. So I want to maybe challenge you this morning. Are there some areas in your life that you are so determined to hold on to the old. No, I really like doing this though. Surely it'll be okay. Surely God, you'll be okay with this. But I wanna encourage you, there is so much that God has placed within you. There is so much freedom and purpose that is available in relationship with Jesus, in this new life that he has to offer. Maybe it's time for you to let go of some of the old. Maybe it's time for you to say, you know what, I've held on to this way of thinking, this habit for far too long now. Maybe today is a moment for you ahead of this sort of experience that you could have with Jesus, this encounter that could change everything, that could shape your life. Are you willing to let go of some of the old for the sake of what God has for you? God will meet you where you are at. God will make you new. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. It is the new that is here. Anyone that is in Christ. Did you know that when you say yes to following Jesus, you turn from sin, turn from your old way, you are given a new nature. Is it time today for you to live in the nature that God has for you? Turn away from some of the stuff that you're still holding on to. God will make you new. And finally, God will call you into the future. God will call you into the future. Now, I love this passage. I'm just going to spend a few moments looking between maybe verse 13 and verse 19. So what happens is Saul is in this moment where he is blind. He's not eating. And then the, the, the scene switches a little bit. This would be like that moment on like a stage show where all like the stuff changes and all of a sudden it looks like a complete different place. We meet this guy called Ananias. It's not the same guy from Acts chapter 5, I think it is, whenever it was. It's a different guy and he's there and God speaks to him and says, right, I want you to go to this specific town, to this specific street, to this specific house to meet a specific guy doing a specific thing. This is literally, this is literally the intentionality of God. So some of you might be sat here this morning thinking like, I don't know if God really knows me. I promise you, he knows everything about you. He knows every single thing that you have done and will do. God is a God of detail and he is intimate. And it shows us God's nature in this. God speaks to Ananias, go to this specific place. You will meet Saul on his knees praying. Now imagine this, okay? Ananias is just your average Christian. That's what it said. He's just, he's just one of the disciples, one of the apostles. He's just... One of the guys, nothing spectacular about him, just an ordinary guy. 
And imagine being told that the chief Christian hunter is going to be in this house at a specific time. I'm assuming, maybe this is just me, that like as God is speaking to Ananias, Ananias is like second guessing God and being like, there's a guy in a specific place. He's called, so all right, okay, you're going to want me to go kill him. You imagine this, oh, this is a moment, we're going to take him out. And God's like, I want you to go and pray for him so he can be healed. Put yourself in the shoes of Ananias here for a second. So you want me to go to the one place that I know I would die? Like the one spot that is like certain death, you want me to go there? And God's like, yeah, it's all good. I have called Saul to something. He is my chosen person to go spread this gospel to the Jews, the Gentiles, the, the kings of the Gentiles, all this stuff. You can read it. Ananias is there like, God, do you want me to go there? Have you heard about this guy? And God is obviously like, uh, yeah, I have heard about this guy. Yes. Ananias is obedience. Okay. Whatever you say, I'll go. So Ananias goes and he lays hands on Saul. And it says that Saul was able to eat and drink and regain his strength again. And this was like the beginning then of, of Saul who would later change his name to Paul. God would change his name to Paul. It's like the beginning of his ministry. So this obedience of Ananias. But I love this. I love this because God will meet you where you're at. He will make you know, he'll do this work in you. The Holy Spirit will empower you to live the way that he is calling you to live. But he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just redeem you for nothing. He redeems you for purpose. So in this story of Saul, the guy with the completely dark past, God has called him into a future of purpose. But this whole little bit is about purpose because look at Ananias, this ordinary guy who was used in the most profound way, who demonstrates this heart and trust for God like never before to go to what could be certain death. He just follows the call of God. God doesn't redeem you for nothing. He redeems you for a purpose. I believe that there is future set inside every single one of you, no matter how old you are, no matter where you have come from, no matter your story, no matter how messed up or how professional you feel, there is future within you because God breathed it in there. There is a purpose and a calling on your life. Why? Because God put it there. Listen to this in Ephesians 4. This is Paul who later writes this to the church of Ephesus. He says this, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. God has placed calling inside every single one of us. And in this passage, we see Ananias go and he prays for Saul. This, this obedience and God confirms, Saul is my chosen one to go and do what I'm asking him to do. You might be here this morning thinking, what I've done is discounted me from being used by God. <laughs> That's not the nature of our God. The nature of our God is he is a redeemer. He is a restorer. I don't know what you've been told in your life. Maybe I don't, I don't really think that's for you. That's not really your thing. Or, uh, maybe you're a little bit on the older side to do this. Just a little side note. I watched something yesterday that said, you know your prime two decades of your life are between 16, 70 and 17, 18. How crazy is that? We're just getting going. This is crazy. I believe if you are still breathing, if you are still alive, God is not finished with you. There is purpose on your life. 
no matter what your life has looked like, God is redeeming you for a purpose. Maybe someone need to hear this this morning, that God is not done with you. There is still purpose on your life. I'm going to get the band up and we're going to close. But God will meet you way out. He will make you new and he will call you into the future. Saul, was, it's like he regained his strength and God had a purpose for him. See, this whole idea of the book of Acts, especially in the first nine chapters, is just this story of someone experiencing God and it changing everything. Maybe this morning you're in that spot where all you need is an encounter with God. All you need is to experience the presence and person of Jesus this morning. Wherever you land on that journey, whether it's maybe you're on your way to doing some dark stuff, maybe you just feel like you need making new, there's just some stuff you just feel worthless and dirty and shameful and guilty and or maybe you just feel like you've been redeemed, but there's kind of not a whole lot of life left in you. All it takes is one encounter with Jesus, and it will change everything. Because that's the whole thrust of our faith, isn't it? It's not just an ideology or good teaching or a social system. It is a, we are people that carry the message of the person of Jesus everywhere we go why because it has completely changed us i know in my life i would be a very very different person i've endured some crazy things in my life and every single time i come out of a dark season of life i look back and be like the peace of god sustained me again the joy of god sustained me again even when everyone else would have thought how did you make it through the peace of god kept me going maybe that's the spot you're in this morning to sum up this entire series to sum up what we've been journeying through what is the foundation of our faith the foundation of the early church is this the foundation of the church was the transformational power of Jesus and the empowerment by the Holy Spirit that is it the foundation of a life that lasts is the transformational power of Jesus and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The foundation of a life of purpose is the transformational power of Jesus and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The foundation for anything worth building in your life, I promise you, is the transformational power of Jesus and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So I don't even need to know your situation. I don't even need to know what it is you're up against. I don't even need to know what you're wrestling with right now. I don't need to know your hopes, your dreams, your insecurities, your secrets. I don't need to know any of that because this is the same for every single one of us. Whatever it is God is calling you to, I promise you, if you build it on the personal work of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, nothing will ever be the same. And you will never be who it is God has designed you to be if you are not in relationship with the one who designed you that way. You've been listening to a weekly message from Light Church. If you would like any more information, you can find us online or on social media. Thanks for listening.